On December 2nd, 1978, alarms went off at the Athens Mental Health and Development Center. Police arrived as the staff gathered to draw up a plan in order to find a missing patient, Margaret Schilling. It would be six long weeks in the grueling winter before she was found. Her body was frozen in the attic of the same asylum where she was lost. But Margaret's story wouldn't be lost to history, for when she was moved, a clear outline of her body was left in the concrete underneath. Try as they might, no one was able to remove the stain her body left. Where Margaret spent the last six weeks of her life would be ingrained in the building forever. After the asylum closed, stories began to spread that the outline of her body wasn't the only thing the building had entrapped within its walls. And now, Margaret would be doomed to wander the halls with the other spirits living in the Athens Asylum. Welcome to Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters. The world is full of myths passed down from generation to generation. Mysteries haunt us. Monsters hunt us. Today we're looking at the building known as the Ridges in Athens, Ohio, formerly called the Athens Lunatic Asylum. We'll also be looking at the story of Margaret Schilling, known as the Lost Lady of the Athens Asylum. We'll try to determine if the stories of ghosts and curses spanning the last 50 years are based on any fact. Part 1. The Asylum Opens History has not been kind to those suffering from mental illness. During the Middle Ages, many believed those suffering were beyond help or reason. Evil spirits were often thought to be the cause, with a popular solution being trephination, a surgical procedure where a piece of the patient's skull was removed in order to let the bad spirits out. It was not uncommon for patients to die from hemorrhaging or infection. Others who lived now had to add brain injury to their list of ailments. Exorcisms became common as the devil and demons were also thought to be behind such quote, wicked illnesses. Those that responded well to the treatment would get to live under constant suspicion. Those that didn't would be thought too far gone and executed, burned at the stake or hanged, sometimes accused of witchcraft. During the Enlightenment, the idea of mental illness being a byproduct of the supernatural began to fall out of favor. Unfortunately, it was replaced by the thought that those suffering were valued less than the rest of society. Many were thrown into hospitals, chained to walls or beds in less than sanitary conditions. Those who had committed crimes were tossed into prisons and left to die without help. Between the 17th and 19th centuries, the idea of hospitals solely dedicated to housing those considered mad or insane gained popularity. Here, doctors tried various forms of treatment. Among those attempting music or talk therapy, a growing number believed there was nothing that could be done to help those they called lunatics. In the mid-19th century, focus was placed on where to house those suffering. Dr. Thomas Story Kirkbride would develop a design for these asylums with the intention of providing natural sunlight and fresh air to patients. The buildings were spacious, extending outward from a center administration building. From above, the building would have the appearance of a bat extending its wings. After the United States Civil War, with many casualties and battles causing post-traumatic stress, many new asylums were built using Kirkbride's design, one of which was the 141-acre Athens Lunatic Asylum, opening on January 9, 1874. Within two years, the asylum was renamed to the Athens Hospital for the Insane, and would go on to have several different names in the following 120 years. From the outside, the asylum would appear to be operating efficiently as intended. Men and women were separated into different wings and would be taught skills to help in making the asylum as self-sufficient as possible. Dr. Kirkbride believed an effective form of therapy was doing skilled labor out in the fresh air, leading to the asylum having livestock, greenhouses, a dairy barn, 
and a steam plant to generate its own heat. The asylum grew from 141 acres to over a thousand, but as the decades went on and the treatment of those with mental illness became more inhumane, the asylum gained a new reputation. By the mid 20th century, the asylum was overcrowded, containing an occupancy over three times its intended amount, with almost 2,000 patients at any given time. Rumors began to spread of the understaffed asylum resorting to violence and torture to maintain order and dish out punishments. Reports of malpractice and murder loomed over the asylum, yet many families still admitted their suffering members into its walls. Men, women, and children were thrown in and forgotten by their families. Even when they died, their bodies went unclaimed and their names were lost to history. The grounds contained three graveyards, but due to budget cuts until the 1940s, the stones contained only numbers. Of the 2,000 buried, 300 are still unknown today. Within the asylum, the treatments also reflected the inhumane punishments. Over 200 transorbital lobotomies were performed in the asylum in just four years. The procedure involved inserting a long metal pick between the eyeball and eyelid of a patient until it reached the bone of the eye socket. Then, with a mallet, the pick would be pounded, breaking through the bone allowing it to enter the frontal lobe of the patient's brain. A sweeping motion with the pick would sever and destroy the frontal lobes, with some patients later experiencing pieces of their brain draining through their nose. All of this was done without anesthesia. Although many patients survived the lobotomy, many lost memories and aspects of their personalities. Some could no longer experience intense emotions. Others were left unable to speak or move, and others eventually took their own lives. With all the stories and rumors, along with the changing understanding of mental illness in the 1950s, the asylum began to drop in patient numbers. For some time, it appeared the history of the Athens Asylum would be overshadowed by the depravity of other mental asylums in the country. That is, until one patient went missing in the summer of 1978. Part 2. The Story of the Lost Lady Not much is known about Margaret Schilling prior to 1978. Being a patient for some time at the Athens Asylum, she was known to be friendly but a loner. Often, she would be found at the top of the stairs, standing and waving at the staff and patients who walked by. Margaret even had open privileges, meaning she was allowed to roam the grounds freely as long as she didn't leave the asylum. So when several staff didn't see her at her usual spot on the morning of December 2nd, 1978, no one sounded the alarm. But when dinner time rolled around and Margaret didn't show up, the staff now knew they had a missing patient. Within the hour, the staff had alerted police and begun searching the thousand acres. By the next morning, the headlines told of a missing patient. Police conducted searches outside the grounds while the staff searched every room from attic to basement for Margaret. Meanwhile, temperatures dropped as Ohio prepared for one of the coldest winters in its history. Over the course of the next six weeks, snow and freezing temperatures hit the Athens area. As much as 30 inches of snow forced the police to call off the search for Margaret, considering her an escaped patient in their book. On January 12, 1979, when the staff at the asylum had just about given in to the same conclusion, a vile smell permeated through the building. Following it, they were led back to an attic they had searched several times over the last six weeks always finding it empty. But this time, in the center of the room, laying naked, was the decomposing body of Margaret Schilling. Next to her, her clothes laid neatly folded into a pile. Police were immediately called to the scene where they determined Margaret had somehow found herself stuck in the room at some point in the last six weeks. Being unable to escape and left without food or water in the freezing cold temperatures, she disrobed in an attempt to get as much of the heat of the sun on her body as possible. 
Although this was a flimsy explanation for her circumstances, the public at large had no choice but to accept it, since the room where she was found was in the middle of construction and had to be kept propped open in order to prevent it from locking. Many believed she somehow found her way in, got stuck, and with construction stopping during the winter, no one could find her. The staff was also believed to have neglected looking in the room as it was thought she wouldn't have wandered in to begin with. But Margaret Schilling's story wouldn't end there. When her body was moved, the staff discovered a clear outline of her body had embedded itself into the concrete. A crew worked for several hours to remove the stain, but with all different types of cleaners, the stain and the last moments of Margaret Schilling's life remained. As the years went on and the asylum changed, closing officially in 1993, one of the only things that remained was the outline of Margaret's body. The land was donated to Ohio University and eventually renamed The Ridges in 2001. But almost immediately after Margaret Schilling's death, whispers of hauntings and talks of curses began to spread. Students of the nearby Ohio University claimed to have seen glimpses of a woman staring down from the attic window where Margaret was found. Others said they saw the shadowy figure of a woman attempting to escape the room, giving looks of despair as she realized she could never leave. Stories of the staff at the asylum having seen Margaret standing on her usual spot at the staircase, smiling and waving before vanishing, were passed around. Stories of a curse imprinted in the outline of Margaret's body drew the attention of students as well. Many claimed the grief she experienced of her impending death caused the stain to become cursed. Just touching it would drive you insane in a matter of days. Groups of students would dare each other to spend the night in the attic. Only one, Debbie Southall, agreed to do so. On Halloween night 1979, Debbie gained entry to where Margaret died and even touched the stain left by her body. The next day, something came over Debbie. Her personality changed dramatically, becoming distant and enraged at the slightest provocation. Her friend, Susan Harrington, later claimed to have witnessed items moving around on their own and an inhuman shadowy figure appearing to her and behind Debbie. After this, Debbie became even more distant, locking herself in her room, refusing to come out for days at a time. After an especially long session locked away, Susan broke into her room only to find Debbie had taken her own life, her body decomposing, leaving its own stain on the floor. As the story of Debbie's possession spread, others started to see more spirits inhabiting the old asylum. Today, many claim to see strange lights and figures roaming the graveyards along with hearing disembodied voices coming from the empty halls and terrifyingly, the sounds of patients screaming in pain echoing at night. But by taking a closer look at the stories surrounding the patients at the Athens Asylum and the curse of Margaret Schilling, we can start to reveal the true stories lying underneath. Part 3. The Truth of the Lost Lady the records for the patients who stayed at the Athens Asylum are legally sealed for 50 years after their deaths, meaning we can't know exactly why Margaret Schilling was in the asylum or the finer details of her death. Many sources state Margaret was deaf, adding to why she didn't hear anyone calling for her while she was missing. Others claim Margaret didn't want to be found. Based on newspaper articles reporting her death, we know neither of these are true. What we do know is Margaret was 53 at the time of her death married, had a son, and had been at the asylum for some time. Just prior to her death, there was construction going on, but the construction was not just in the one room where she was eventually found. Instead, it was in an entire ward. The complex at the time included 78 different buildings. Margaret found herself locked in not just a far away room, 
but in an entire faraway building. The staff at the asylum don't know why Margaret entered that building, but she did have privileges to go anywhere in the 1,000 acre facility as long as she returned by curfew. This meant once she entered that room and accidentally locked herself in, no one was going to be able to hear her screams for help. Because she wasn't a dangerous patient and wasn't considered high risk, many of the staff and police believed she had simply left the asylum for good to be with her family something that wasn't uncommon for some low-risk patients to do at the time. When construction restarted in the building in January, a construction worker found her in the room, naked, dead, and decomposing. The coroner determined Margaret's cause of death was heart failure due to having to endure the freezing temperatures, which helps explain why Margaret was found naked. A common but bizarre effect of hypothermia is called paradoxical undressing. When you're in cold temperatures, the blood vessels in your body contract in an attempt to prevent loss of heat in your core, as that is the most important part of your body. It's why your hands and feet get cold first before the rest of your body. In cases of extreme hypothermia, those muscles contracting your blood vessels fatigue and fail, causing warm blood to rush to other parts of your body. The person experiencing this feels a hot flash as if they were burning from the inside. With the confusion created by hypothermia, the victim believes undressing is the only solution. It's believed Margaret Schilling experienced paradoxical undressing shortly before dying from the extreme cold. She laid in a position where the sunshine covered her entirely, the heat amplified by the glass, causing her body to decompose onto the exposed concrete, leaving a perfect outline of her body. A 2008 microscopic analysis of the stain published in the Journal of Forensic Sciences found the type of cleaner used in an attempt to remove the stain actually contributed to the stain being etched permanently into the concrete. As for the story of possession of Debbie Southall, that story can be traced back to an actual claim from Debbie Southall and Susan Harrington, wherein they claimed to see objects moving around while at Ohio University. But in tracing the story in newspaper articles, it turns out the first time it was reported, the story did not include anything about Margaret Schilling or the stain, especially since the story first appeared in 1976, years before Margaret died. Throughout the years, those at and surrounding Ohio University heard the stories of Margaret Schilling and the story of Debbie Southall, mixing them together as the decades passed, creating a false link between a tragedy and a ghost story. In reality, none of the stories of ghosts, shadowy figures, or the spirit of Margaret Schilling appearing in the building or the graveyards appeared to be true. Along with the common trope of haunted asylums, the story stuck easily and helped create this aura of a haunted, terrifying place. Unfortunately, these stories end up ignoring or downplaying the real horror that occurred in these asylums. The treatment of patients bound, gagged, shackled, and tortured, along with the prevalent use of inhumane procedures like lobotomies, is the true terror that haunts the halls of the former Athens Asylum. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters. My name is Hector. Script and research is done by E.L. Soto. Sources are in the show notes for further reading. If you enjoyed the episode, consider leaving us a rating, a review, or subscribe for more. And remember, always look behind you.